You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Have you ever been in a toxic workplace? Maybe the boss failed to give effective directions or they picked favourites or maybe they just flat out yelled at you. Some workplace cultures are just broken. In this episode, we'll discuss why that is and how we can heal them if you're a manager who's just started working in one. Simon Harrison is manager for Parks and Open Spaces at Wallandilly Shire Council on the western fringes of Sydney. He's dealt with his fair share of workplace tension, including taking over toxic workplaces and dealing with the death of a member of the public in one of his parks, due to no fault of any of his team, even though the media tried to blame it on them. Stick around to the end of the episode to learn what mentality shifts that you need to step up to the next level, whether that's a crew leader or a depot manager. Welcome to the show, Simon. Yeah, thanks Thanks for the opportunity, Daniel. Yeah, it's a really good opportunity to come and talk to you. Look, it's a very important chat and a very important topic. And as we were saying just before we hit the record button, it's something that not it's not talked about enough. You know, we talk about the art and science of the work a lot and you know, people give presentations on new technology, all this sort of stuff, but we're not putting enough emphasis on this leadership factor. Yeah, I agree. I think quite often in our sector, and certainly with the challenges we face with recruiting people, we need to create good environments to recruit the right people, but most importantly, retain them and develop them as they're mm-hmm. the future leaders in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're the people who are doing the work today. It's not even just about the future. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think it's important to get the right people, and we'll talk. I'm sure we're going to talk more about that today. But you know, we want want to make sure that we recruit the people with the right character and develop and invest in them because we want them to perform to a high standard now, but also into the future. I think mm. the industry is certainly short of younger people with aspirations and. I think there's opportunities to improve in that space and culture and environment mm. are certainly a key component of that. Absolutely. So look, we're going to be talking about the culture of fear, but before we get into that, can you tell us what is a leader? Is that the same thing as a manager and what makes for a good leader? Well, I first question, I guess, what is a leader? A leader is somebody that I think has trust and respect. Is someone that's a good listener? is someone that people can rely on and is dependable, but is also someone that is willing to back their judgment and provide clear clear direction to their people, but also someone that wants to invest time and energy and effort into their people. It's not somebody that's self-centred. It's somebody that mm. has a, plays a leading role amongst their people, but is provides support, provides empowerment, allows people to get on and do their job. I think it's certainly a different thing to a manager. I think people, a leader and a manager, a manager is, I think, sometimes could be just defined as an administrator, somebody there to keep things ticking over, potentially doesn't go the extra yard, but does their job, but doesn't provide that aspiration or drive or initiative for an environment. I think also a leader, you know, facilitates and provides a place that people want to be part of and aspire to being part of as well. What, what makes for a good leader? Oh, I think there's a lot of good characteristics, but somebody that's got empathy I think is really important. I think somebody that 
uh, can listen and learn and doesn't proclaim to know it all. I think we see many people who believe that they do know it all. And one of the successes of any environment is that everybody has something to contribute. And through that team effort, the leader quite often brings things together to make, you know, make it a reality and achieve great things. I think also a leader shows character, certainly willing and is honest, wants to admit that they do make a mistake, empowers people, allows people to grow, creates a place that people want to be part of and are proud of being part of as well. Right. Okay. So I guess it sounds like a leader is somebody who puts their heart into it. And would you say that it's somebody who's born is it somebody who, you know, they're self-made or is it that the world makes them a leader or is it a combination of all of those things, do you think? I think just to add to that, a leader has purpose and has drive and certainly one of the things also, I don't think a leader is just a natural thing. I think leadership evolves, it changes. I think with more experience, more knowledge, you can become a leader. There's a lot of people that I've encountered over my journey in the industry at you know been quite reserved but have turned out to be some of the best leaders that I've seen Mm. so character is I don't think that there's somebody it's just born to lead I think that it takes time it takes you know effort I think it takes time to reflect and look at different things and look at other how other people lead as well use that skills knowledge and experience to become one and also learn from your failures we will make mistakes I think you know, it's important to go away, challenge yourself. If you don't make a mistake, you're not going to learn and you won't become a better leader either. Hmm. So there are lots of different ways to be a good leader. It's just about being authentic, being a true self and figuring out through time and experience and just doing the hard yards, what that means to you. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, you know, there's lots of other characteristics. A, A good leader is always approachable, I believe. I think a good leader is also prepared to make a ri- take a risk and, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, provide clear, clear direction, be supportive. I think, you know, like I said earlier, Daniel, listening is a really, really important component of being a good leader. Mm-hmm. It's n- Yes, the leader is the face of a unit, but they're only as good as the people that are in the team. You can be the best leader in the world, but if you don't have the right people with you, I don't believe you can achieve great things. Okay. So a good leader is a confidant, they're an economic advisor, a disciplinary figure. Like what are some of the different hats that a leader has to wear? Yeah, look, over my journey, I would say that there's a lot of different uh, characteristics and tasks that you do. I think a leader certainly provides purpose and direction and also provides a supportive environment. A leader, as I mentioned earlier, is a good listener. A leader can be an economic advisor, as you've said. A leader can be a HR manager a social worker, an economist. It can be all sorts of different things. A leader sometimes is just, you know, a good shoulder to cry on. Mm. If you build trust and respect, people will tell you lots of things that, you know, may be influencing their lives away from the work environment. And sometimes that's a good thing as a leader because you're non-judgmental and you will listen Mm -hmm. and then you will provide some guidance or some support. Or sometimes you won't provide anything. It's just an opportunity for somebody to talk about a challenge or get something off their chest. So there's, I think there's many, many different tasks that a leader runs and conducts. 
I think I think also, you know, with a leader, a leader sets a standard. And it's really, really important that a good leader sets the benchmark high and doesn't compromise in certain areas. You know, one of the things that I'm very big on is standards. I always believe that we get one chance to make a good first impression. And when we're dealing with people, for example, in a local government environment that are out in the field, they're, they're the ones that are the face of an organisation or a council. And if you set that standard, your team will follow. But if you compromise, it becomes cancerous. People will say, oh, well, they don't behave at that standard. I don't have to behave at that standard. But I think also with a leader having purpose, a leader corrects things promptly as well. Is, mm. you know, if there's challenges or issues or matters that need to be resolved, one of the things that a leader does try to do is correct those issues and then move forward as quickly and promptly as possible. So when I look back on my career, and I hope listeners can probably emphasize with this or empathize with this rather, you know, there are leaders that I've had that are like that. And then there are leaders that I've had where I wouldn't tell them the truth about something because of a fear of the backlash or the repercussions. Like there are some leaders that you just wouldn't uh, cry on the shoulder of, so to speak. Can you define the culture of fear for us? I think you've probably answered that question a little bit in your comments <laughs> then, mate. It, it, it Culture of fear is an environment that people won't speak up for being afraid of repercussions. There's lack of trust, lack of respect. There's a lack of total understanding of an environment that could best be potentially described as dysfunctional. And I think that's something that, you know, is a very key component of a culture of fear. I've worked in organisations where that's been like that and it also can be related back to the leader. The leader rules with an iron fist. The leader is a controller. The leader won't allow people to grow or develop, use their initiative, provide input, and then therefore people, you know, don't want to speak up, don't want to participate. Quite often there's high levels of absenteeism. There's high levels of staff Mm. turnover really, really poor work environment in that people aren't provided opportunities to grow, opportunities to suggest ideas. I think all of those factors, you know, contribute to why why you would define it as a culture of fear. Mm. Culture of fears are very common, Daniel. They happen mm. still occur in these days. And I think unfortunately in our society at times there is that situation where people rule with an iron fist or it's my way or the highway and don't listen and proclaim to know everything. I think it's really important, you know, to have a good culture is you have respect and trust with those in leadership roles. And one of the things I always go back to, it's really hard to earn leadership, earn respect and trust with your people, but it can be lost in a really short period of time and you'll never get it back. Regardless of what people say or think, I I think, you know, you work hard at getting that respect and trust and belief in a leader, but, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. I think that's very well said, Simon. I think as well, as much as we all would love for a working environment to just be all sunshine, lollipops and roses, it's just not always going to be like that. Like a leader does have to be like a bit of a disciplinary figure. And also, like, your workmates have to keep you in check too. Like, we can't just let you rake up the pile of leaves, then walk five metres to the bin, then walk back and forth and back and forth. Like, we have to we have to work as a cohesive unit. How do we separate 
regular authority and discipline from bullying, whether that's a leader or whether that's someone on the same level as you? How do we differentiate between those two and, and what, what do we need to bring to the working environment in this respect? Oh, well, bullying can be a really, really damaging thing in any environment. And I've certainly seen some instances of that over my work journey where bullying has caused all sorts of problems, personally, physically, psychologically. And some of those things that happen can happen, you know, in situations where nobody has any idea that that's going on. Mm. And I guess it can be significantly cancerous in any environment and it can cause all sorts of problems in any team. I certainly have a no tolerance approach to it and it's something that I would stamp out very quickly and I certainly have in the past. I think though one of the things you need to do when you're dealing with those matters is make sure that you have all your information lined up correctly so be very thorough if you, if there is a bullying complaint or a situation that you're aware of. Because, you know, in today's society, it's important that we follow follow the legislation and the standards for workplace because it can come back to bite you. But bullying, bullying still happens. It's, you know, people that do stand over people. But bullying can be physical. It can be mental. It can be psychological. There's all sorts of different forms. And unfortunately, it still happens in the workplace and it can be cancerous. And I think it goes back to what we talked earlier about a leader is a good leader will address those matters as soon as they're aware of them because we don't want that impacting on the rest of the group that we're responsible for. Okay. So if I'm thinking about bullying, there's a stereotype of that standing over you and picking on you. But at the same time, like in any relationship, whether it's my marriage, whether it's someone who I've been working next to, whether it's someone I'm working beneath or above me, there's always going to be a level of friction because we're two different people who have two different perspectives. So what's the difference between just regular friction and bullying? I think it's good to have a bit of friction and a bit of being uncomfortable at times. I think that Mm -hmm. good, good, respectful debate is really, really important in any workplace. Because working together with differing ideas can achieve great things. Mm-hmm. Bullying, as I mentioned before, Daniel, it can be in so many different forms. And it's it can be, as I said, it can be physical, psychological, mental. It's it's just a really, really difficult and challenging matter. But I think there's two lines in the sand. Bullying is the damage and the negative impacts that it has on an individual or a workplace. Whereas friction can be a very positive thing because it can create a robust environment and one that people are willing to step up, willing to talk about things, willing to debate and contest and challenge. And if it's done respectfully, that can help achieve great things within a work environment and a workplace. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between someone who is genuinely being bullied and someone who's just playing the victim and when, when... As a leader, like how do you differentiate between those two? Because not everyone who's going to come to you with a complaint is actually being bullied. I mean, it's not that people are overly sensitive, but like, let's face it, sometimes people are overly sensitive and I don't want to push the message that that's always the case, but sometimes it is. Yeah, that's certainly true. I think, like I said before, if you do have a case or alleged case of bullying, it's really important that you become thorough in your investigation is gain the facts, speak to people, 
discuss the situation further mm. with with specialists. Sometimes if you do have a human resources or a people and wellbeing team, get that guidance and assistance and support from them. I think it's really, really important that you just follow it step by step and conduct that thorough investigation to gain a full understanding of the situation. And I don't think that matters whether it is a bullying situation or somebody who feels that they're being picked on. It's really important to speak to the people and get the facts in place and then make a determination of what the situation is going forward. Because the other thing I will say, Daniel, is, you know, like, like we were just talking about, robust debate's important. It's sometimes how that message comes across. And it's really important mm. in, in a leader or any people that you're very aware of your communication skills, your body language, your tone of voice, all of those different things. I think we see today, you know, with text messages, people interpret text messages in really mm. different ways. And some people will say they're being picked on, but that's not the intention. It's just the way that they're worded. Quite often text messages mm. are quite direct and it may not be something that is a bullying or an intimidation situation, but it's the way people perceive things. So it's really, really important in a leadership role or any people that they're aware of their tone, their body language, their communicate, the way they communicate with people. Yeah, thinking back to I spent a bit of time as a depot manager and some of the people who were working under me, the team leaders of the work youths, some of them were lovely people and they could talk nicely, but then some of them, by nature, they were just gruff, especially the blokes, just gruff. And that's just the way that they are. And asking them to change is never going to happen. But they make great leaders because if they have the right person under them who's going to listen, it just goes amazingly. And those sorts of people can actually do wonders for especially a young bloke who may need a clip around the ears every now and then. I mean, I was that person. I got ADHD. And I had clips around the ears all the t- around the ears all the time as a young fella, and it did wonders for me. Like at some point, I had to take responsibility and say, "No, I was the one who left the hedger at the job." Yeah, I probably deserve a clip around the ears a little bit. And I think, in some ways, it really depends on the chemistry between two people. Sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know, Daniel? Some of the people you referred to, the older school ones, they're fair but they're firm. And they provide real clear purpose and direction and they're great people to teach others, especially because they set the standard. They're not, and they are direct and they are Mm. old school. And some of the younger generation these days don't necessarily uh, adapt to that particularly well, but Mm. certainly they set the standard. I would also say that quite often a leader is not somebody that has a leader's role Mm. or a leader's title within the workplace. They can be a people that have influence. I've worked with people in in different workplaces who may not have a title of a supervisor or a coordinator or a manager, but they have a lot of influence in the workplace because they're respected and trusted and they're a confidant. And they can be somebody that can be a champion for any good leader because they can take a message and they can work with people across a a business or an organisation to make a work environment something that's better and something that people are really proud of being part of. So I think there's, you know, there's certainly the old school leaders, there's the new generation leaders who in times probably a little bit, you know, more uh, emotionally intelligent. They have a mm. higher level of awareness in that space, whereas older generation at times it's just get on with the job and make mm-hmm. it happen and there's probably not a lot of understanding of, you know, that emotional intelligence, which is very important in today's workplaces and today's society because of how people react and respond. 
Yeah, I think that was very well said about the new school and the old school. Like there's there's a place for the old school, but a lot of the time I find that those aren't the people who are making it into the upper echelons of a company. No, I'd agree with that. I think there's they're the ones that are the ones though who you can trust and you can rely on. Mm, to get the job done. Yeah, they're consistent and constant and emotionally very stable. And they're very they're people that you can just rely and depend upon. Yeah. You know that they will be in the trenches with you when things get difficult, but they'll also be there to provide support, to provide direction and provide purpose. But they're also people, as you've said, that quite often have been in the same role for maybe, you know, an extended period of time, sometimes up to 30 years. Mm. We see that quite a lot in local government that somebody comes into an organisation and is comfortable at just being at that middle supervisor level for a long period of time provides purpose, direction and leadership. But one of the things you can say with those people, many people will leave organisations and they'll refer to those people later in life and say how much influence they had over them. Mm-hmm. And they, they actually sometimes need that emotionally intelligent person to mediate between them and another person that they're having a disagreement with because they don't always have those tools. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Sometimes the, the person in the middle is like the moderator or sometimes the voice of reason. You know, sometimes with the older generation of leaders, they don't look at a, have a wider look at things mm. and they are very fixed or sometimes narrow in their views. And that younger or that mediator sort of approach that has a higher level of emotional intelligence can be somebody that, yeah, can act as the peacemaker, can also open people's eyes to look at different approaches or different ways to go about things mm. and provide that, you know, that conciliatory approach too to make sure that people can work better together and achieve the deliverables that they need to. Yeah, because it's easy to burn bridges. It can it can be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that brings us to the importance of listening and also the flexibility mm. of approach. So I guess the way that a good leader will speak to one person isn't the way that they'll speak to another person, is it? No, I agree. I think that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach anymore. I think that it probably used to be, and it goes back to what we just talked about, about those older school leaders, that it potentially was one-size-fits-all for everybody I mean, recent generations. But nowadays, it's really important to have that, you know, that emotional intelligence and be able to adjust your style to cater for different people. But it's really important as a leader to have awareness about that, you know, understand about how you're going to communicate with somebody, how you're going to listen and learn from them and take them on a journey with you. Mm. I think that all of those factors are really important. But I, I think I've learned over my journey, you know, the importance of listening and tone of voice and body language are really, really important nowadays. Yeah. People, people, you know, make judgments on you these days and listening is a really key component to being a successful, you know, successful leader. And everybody has something to contribute in a workplace. And I certainly don't know it all, but I rely on my people to provide ideas, suggestions, thoughts, input to different things that we do because they're also specialists in their respective fields. Mm. I, I have some probably specialist skills, but I just certainly don't know it all. And listening and learning from those helps us provide purpose and direction and where are we heading, both in the immediate and in the future. Yeah, I think it's important to differentiate between a leader and somebody who knows everything. 
Like I think of a workplace as being like a body. So if the leader is the head, that's just the one that decides mm-hmm. in the direction. The heart still needs to pump blood. The gut still needs to, you know, digest food. Everyone's playing their role. A leader is no different. It's just another role in the workplace. It's not like they're some sort of superhuman or something like that. They're just playing a different role. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's 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 like any sporting team. Is everybody has a role within a sporting mm. team to achieve the outcome that you want. And the leader probably they're they're a bit like the coach. Mm. Is they're providing that direction, they're setting the standards, they're working on strategies, they're also working in the business and on the business. Mm. And their aim is to bring their team or those group of individuals together so that can we can achieve the deliverables and also make sure that we have a work environment that people want to be part of that's positive and it's inclusive and people are proud of. So I guess as much as we're going to be flexible as a leader, we also need Mm -hmm. to be consistent. So you brought up three Fs, fair, firm, and friendly. So how do you balance those three? Because fair, firm, and friendly, that it's like a tensile metal, isn't it? Where it's not brittle, but it, it has a bit of bend in it, but it's still firm. Yep. I think, so we'll, we'll go through the three factors that I sort of talked about, about what I think are key components of leadership. So fair, I believe, is somebody that looks at things objectively and hasn't made a determination until they have all the facts in front of them mm. and does listen and take on board feedback and input before any judgment is made. So listens to both sides. And I think that's part of being fair. Firm is providing purpose and providing direction, but is also making sure that you're setting the standards and being very, very clear about behaviours and visions and outcomes and also making difficult or challenging decisions when required and standing by them. I think that, you know, part of leadership is you have to make difficult decisions at times, but making sure that you're doing that with for the right reasons, you're doing it with purpose, and you're also, you know, being consistent in your approach. But I think also, you know, with the firm firmness is also there is a degree of flexibility in that. Is we make a decision now and we say that is what we need to do going forward. But we also step away at a future time when we review that and make sure that that is working in the way that we wanted it to. And if we have to make adjustments, we do that. Mm. I think the friendly factor is that it's important to be approachable. It's important that you're there for your people and that you build confidence and trust and belief in them to be able to come and listen to you and and talk to you. I think it's also about respect, being respectful in your conversations. Like I said earlier, tone of voice, body language, eye contact, all of those different things show an interest in your people. That's how people perceive you as friendly. Mm -hmm. I think you don't have to be their friend or their best mate. But being approachable and being there for when things are difficult, but also, you know, when things can be very, very challenging is important. And that's part of being friendly. I think also being friendly, though, is celebrating those achievements, is recognising the efforts of your people Mm. and recognising the great things that you achieve. Too often, I think, in work environments, we're that busy, we don't look back and reflect and we celebrate those things because we move on to the next thing. So part of a good leader and that friendliness approach is making sure that you recognise the good things or the positive things both an individual and a team contributes to an organisation and celebrating them and publicising them. They're really, really important things in developing a 
you know, a really good and positive work environment. Mm. Yeah, you're right, because we don't just want to hear about the negative. And I think that happens all too often is that the only time when the leader comes to you is when there's something negative. I couldn't agree more at times. I think it's really important in a leadership role, though, to be optimistic and always focus on the positives as much as possible. Um, If you set the standards and you are optimistic about the future and you do learn from your mistakes, I think you can achieve that really positive and confident work environment. And then that reflects on your people. You know, there's many other factors that influence what, why you have a good work environment. And, you know, if you do, if you are, you do have that purpose and you create that right environment, like we talked about earlier, things such as absenteeism and staff turnover, those, those problems will drop significantly. And you'll also see high levels of productivity amongst your group. Mm. So, look, ego is a word. It can mean different things depending on who you're talking to and or who's, you know, defining the word ego. But I think for this conversation, let's just say ego is like the little me. And it's like me and my opinions mm-hmm. or me and my beliefs or me and what I want. How can that ego get in the way of a leader? Well, it can, it can certainly get in the way of a leader in that the leader is dismissive, does not listen, does not learn becomes perceived as arrogant, can be perceived as a micromanager as well. I think there's lots of negative components to that. I would also say, though, you know, on the other hand, and I know your question was sort of in the negative space, some leaders and good leaders do have a bit of ego, and I think that that's a component that probably some leaders have to have to be successful in mm. their outcomes, a bit, of degree, a bit of degree of arrogance. And I think you see that at times with sport, a lot of, very successful people in the sporting industry. I look at Michael Jordan. I think Michael Jordan had a very had quite a bit of ego. <laughs> he was he was seen as a, an amazing leader, but he was very much an individual in many ways. But he had a very strong ego that drove him to be the best that he can be. And as a result, his people followed him. So I think you need to some leaders certainly need that. But also on the other hand, as we've talked about, Daniel. Ego can also be a very much a negative in the workplace too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't want to get like I'm somewhat interested in some of Carl Jung and Freud's ideas and their idea of ego is very different than what we have today. Like Carl Jung would say you need a strong ego to get just to get by in the world or to get things done and, and to have a weak ego is not necessarily a virtue anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure that you need a strong ego to get things done. I think you need purpose and you need direction. But I think an ego is just part of being a leader and part of just a piece in the whole puzzle, you know, to help you achieve things. Having, like we go back to what I said before about listening and we were discussing is I think listening is a really key component to achieving great things. And, yes, any good leader needs purpose and direction and has to make a difficult decision at times. But if they don't listen to their people... They're out on their own on a rock with little or no support, no trust, no respect, and probably leading a group that's going in all sorts of different directions as well. Okay, so let's just picture that there's a workplace, right? As you described, they're all going in all different directions. There's this culture of fear that's just pervasive in there, and you're taking over this workplace. Or maybe you're even just stepping up as, uh, as the old leader, but now you've realized the error of your ways and you want to start again. But I think let's just start with someone who's coming into a workplace that has a culture of fear and you want to turn the ship around 
Is there like a silver bullet to doing that or what are some of the strategies that you need to take? Okay. I would say walking in a work environment which would be best described as toxic or dysfunctional, the first thing that you need to know is you need to know your people and you need to develop trust and respect, but also you need to provide some real clear purpose initially to say this is the standard that I expect. In work environments like that, people are looking for leaders to make those statements and say this is what where I see us and this is you know where we should be heading. I think, though, it's really important when you're doing that is to get to know your people, understand the lie of the land, understand the problems and the issues. And it takes a little bit of time to get that. And we go back to what you, we were talking about before about the culture of fear where people won't speak up. So when you go into an environment or workplace that's suffering from those problems is people won't speak up initially. And through hard work, listening, learning, spending time with people individually or in small groups, you start to develop that trust and respect. And then eventually, hopefully, or hopefully people will speak up. I've certainly seen that happen over my journey where I've commenced in a workplace that has been challenging. And the first thing that I've done is certainly made some statements about the standards that I do expect and require. And that provides some purpose and some clarity to our people. But one of the things then is to go around and understand how the the environment is working. What are the problems? What are the issues? Get to know your people. And then once you start to do that, you build that respect and that trust because you're listening to them, you're learning from them. And then people do start to open up because they build confidence in you. And then I've seen it happen where I have worked in places where, you know, there has been issues and some very long-standing issues that nobody knew anything of. But once you've built that respect and trust and belief and understanding that they think things are going to change or things will be addressed, people do start to speak up. And then that gives you the opportunity to deal with those issues. And then that can be a domino-like effect because people see that things are happening, things are changing, things are improving, and they will start speaking up. And, you know, it's just like it's just like dominoes. It keeps gathering and gathering, and then you start to work through those challenges, make the necessary changes and adjustments, and hopefully then you can move forward with creating a much improved work environment that people want to be part of. So it sounds like it's a lot about patience, listening, and just consistency. I think it's a lot about patience at times. Yeah, I think that's really, that's a good point about consistency. I think it is important about consistency and purpose. I think it, like you said, listening is, and we've talked about this already, (laughs) listening is a key component. And I think it's a very undersold component of being a good leader. But I think also, you know, that ability to make difficult decisions and address issues as they occur and do it in a clean and prompt manner. Don't be afraid. People are looking for you as a leader to make those difficult decisions at times. And as long as they're done in a respectful manner, that's the most important thing. All right. Well, now let's fast forward five or ten years and let's say now you've built this workplace up, you're really proud of it, and you really care about the people who are working under you, but you've got a better opportunity or maybe you're moving into state or whatever it happens to be, but you're exiting this workplace. Can you tell us about like 
exit strategies to make sure that all your hard work isn't undone because being a leader, it's not just a paycheck. It's something that you actually care about. And just because you're not going to be looking after these people doesn't mean you don't still care about them. I think it goes back to what we talked about, Daniel. Your people are really the key key piece of the puzzle. Mm. And one of the big beliefs of mine or big focuses on is succession planning. And always when I go into a workplace, I want to leave it in a better space than when I arrived. And I think that's a really positive legacy to do. Mm. And one of the things you want to do is invest time and energy into into your people and to people that potentially have the ability or the characteristics to be able to step up into higher-level roles, whether it's within inside your organisation or elsewhere. Part of my role as a leader is to invest time and effort and energy into those people to be the best that they can be in their current roles but also in future roles. And I think it's really, really important for any leader is to create a work environment that is positive, it's inclusive, and people want to be part of, but also it sets the team up for the future. So you've got, you know, strategic direction about where are you going to be in the next five to 10 years, but also the now. And it's also really important as as a leader, it might be leaving an organisation to make sure that you're doing it in a manner that's respectful. The industry is quite small in parks, open space, recreation, and word does get around if you behave poorly as well. Mm. And and I think that that's something that at times people that change jobs or leave organisations for differing reasons probably don't think about. There's a lot of also when leaders leave places that the first six to 12 months, there's a lot of finger pointing at that previous person that was in the role. And it's really, from my perspective, it's important that the person that occupied the role previously leaves it in a good space tries and make sure that as many matters have been addressed and covered and there is some clear air for that new person that comes into the role there will be challenges and that's just natural in any business but I think you know it's really important that somebody can't spend the next six months just you know giving the backhanded to (laughs) the person that was in the previous role yeah that's really true because I've certainly seen that happen a lot. And it's something, it's something, yeah, it's something that I don't like. And yeah. the reason I say that is we don't know that person that was previously in that role probably did the best job that they possibly could. The circumstances may have been different. There may have been challenges away from work that was impacting or influencing their performance. And I think also it's a way of people in that using those actions is not accepting, not being accountable for their own actions because I'm sure they contributed potentially to some of these challenges that they're talking about, but they're not willing to put their hand up and say, yes, I was involved in that. I made a mistake. It's always someone else's fault, the blame game. Mm. And that's something that I am not a fan of at all, Daniel. No, no, the blame game's not good. And it's bad karma too. Like you play that game, then the next person plays it about you and it just goes on endlessly. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It, it just becomes a circle. And, and you know, people... If you do make a mistake, put your hand up and say, yes, I made that mistake. Too often we want to sweep it under the carpet and try and palm it off to somebody else or say there was other factors that influenced the negative outcome. But I, I think, you know, we want, to, we want our people to be accountable. We want our people to put their hand up if they made a mistake and learn from it. But also, you know, that, that creates part of a really good team. And also, 
you know, an environment where we say that manager at left that organisation did a really good job. They worked in some challenging circumstances. They made some good decisions. Maybe they didn't make some great decisions, but we'll learn from them and we'll make sure that if they face us again, we'll know we'll be better prepared and we'll be able to deal with it in a different manner. Hmm. So Simon, we've talked a lot about as a leader, like the responsibilities that you take upon yourself and the expectations that you take on yourself. As a leader, what are some of the expectations that you have of your staff? Because, you know, they're not at the same position on the ladder that you are, so you can't expect the same things of them that you expect of yourself because it's just never going to happen. Otherwise, they'd all be at the same level as you on the on the ladder. So what are the expectations that you have of your staff? My staff, I expect people that work with me is a couple of things. I expect them to just be themselves right. and don't be something that they're they're not. And I think that that's really important about being, you know, you know, just be who they are, show their character, show their attitudes, behave to the expected standard. I think also, though, as part of that, you know, I want our staff to be honest. I want them to be transparent. I want them to be consistent. I want them to realise that the importance of their respective roles and the influence and what they achieve in any team. I also want them to put their hand up and can make a positive contribution to any team. But I also want them to call out things if they're not right or they're at a standard that we wouldn't accept within a, in a, in a work environment. I also think that what else do I expect from my people? I just expect them to be people that you know are proud of what they do. They make a positive contribution to an organisation and they also set the standard for the people that are around them. It's too easy to like we've talked about, to blame others. I want them people to be accountable and I want mm. people to say, this is the standard that I expect within a workplace and I want you to follow me as well. But I also expect that, you know, if we behave to the right standard, people will also follow in that thing, in that aspect. If we behave to a poor standard, people will just say, well, if they do it, I'll do it. Mm. And I think, you know, my, my expectations of my people, I don't think are anything too onerous. I think they're just standards of human decency Hmm. just get along as a team and i guess that's on top of the kpis like turn up on time every day make sure you do x amount of meters per day of mowing yep but i think i think also daniel you know we good one of the things i expect for people that have reported to me over my journey is to challenge the norm don't be afraid to try things don't be afraid to use your initiative and think outside the square but if they're going to do that, is speak to their leader. And so if things do go wrong, there's a security blanket behind them mm. because that leader knows too often people go up, quite often can go off on a tangent yeah. and they can do things which may be well-intentioned, but then when things go wrong and we're falling into the depths of despair, that's when it becomes problematic because we haven't got an exit strategy or we haven't got an idea that this may or may not have been going to happen. And then we're scrambling to try and resolve a problem that could have easily been addressed or resolved by just having that conversation initially that's saying, I'm going to try this. I'm going to let you know in case things do go pear-shaped. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of, the, one of the successes of any team, apart from listening, is communication. Yeah. If we don't talk to each other, nothing's going to happen and we're all going to continue to work in bubbles or silos and we won't work together for the common goal. So... 
I want I want our people to think outside the square and try different things and experience new things. It's also good. I want our people to be a little bit uncomfortable at times because that's good for their growth and mm-hmm. their development. And if we just keep doing the same things, people become very comfortable and stayed and set in their ways. But if we make we challenge our people, make them a little bit uncomfortable, they'll learn from that and they'll be better people both in their personal lives and also in the work environment. I just wanted to paint a little bit of a picture about what you were saying with, you know, the communication with leadership. So like, let's say there's a steep hill and the mower operator, like we're all heroes, let's face it, I'm no different. I want to challenge that hill with the ride on zero turn mower that no one else has done before because it's going to save time on the push mowing or the brush cutting or whatever. But if that person takes the initiative on themselves without asking the leader first and they get into deep doo-doo, then it's all on them and then they're going to try and cover it up and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. just having that call first is is so important. Yeah, it is, Daniel. And I think, you know, that five-minute conversation is just really important in setting up things for the future and mm-hmm. avoiding any problems. I think it's also really important and we work in, in a, certainly in the park, recreation and open space sector, WHS is a really important component. Because our teams are using items of machinery, plant and equipment. And having that conversation also can make sure that if something does go really wrong, that we're protected in that space, that we're aware, we're not taking a risk that is considered outside, you know, the standards or the levels of legislation or what mm. what what we have to work within. Because, you know, I, I've worked in, in a work environment previously where we had a death Oh, and no. fortunately, there's no there's no positives out of it, and it's probably one of the hardest things I've been through. But one of the things through that that we learnt was standards were everything, and those standards that we had in place in the, as even though this significant incident occurred, um, you know, certainly reflected well on us and positive, and probably saved saved us from probably further prosecution and yeah. legal ramifications. Yeah, WorkSafe is no joke. No, exactly right. And we ended up in the instance that I was involved with, you know, through a very, very thorough and long, long-running police investigation. Mm-hmm. And rightly so. Yeah, well, we had a – the situation I'll probably explain, but we had a tree fail in a park. Oh. And it killed a little girl and oh. the mother ended up permanently in a wheelchair. Oh. And we received significant media publicity about it. And then we went through very, very thorough, long and challenging investigation involving the police, legal representatives and the coroner. And then subsequently that certainly there was a lot of fallout over that. Uh, there was a lot of damage done to individuals there were some people whose lives were changed obviously forever and we ended up in the coroner's court going through another very very difficult time and we certainly all learned a lot out of it but there was a lot of collateral damage but one of the things that came out of that Daniel was that standards were everything and the standards and the process that we had in place was industry best practice And I think it goes back to what we've talked about, about making that call and discussing the situation and setting those standards. 
because it can be a security blanket if things do go awry, in this, like it happened in this instance, because if we didn't have those standards in place, there was a potential for jail time. Absolutely. Yeah, and as I said, rightly so. Like we actually were so lucky in this country that we have these standards and at the end of the day, you can have all the standards in place that you like and something can still go wrong. But if you're doing everything you can, at least you can look back and be like, look, we couldn't foresee that happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, that that discussion piece or working with your people to make sure that you do have those standards or you're prepared to take a risk, that's a good thing. But you always need to think about the potential ramifications if do things do go awry. Mm. And certainly in that instance, I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about what the important elements were of being a good leader and having, you know, just providing that solid environment for our people that were going through some significantly difficult times mm-hmm. and at times probably felt horribly isolated, felt vulnerable, uh, was psychologically challenged. Um, in that instance, we lost some people out of it, which was very, very upsetting. But, you know, I think as a leader for me, I learned a lot about myself and some of the characteristics and things that we've talked about today, that incident has certainly influenced me greatly about how I go about my role. So is that something that you can communicate with us about what you learned about yourself and your role? Or is that the sort of thing where you have to actually go through that fire to be able to explain it? I think you can. I I had never faced a situation like that, Daniel. And I don't hope that anybody else ever does either. But it made, it changed me and shaped me in a very different way. I think it made me have a higher level of emotional intelligence. It also made me understand the importance of being that person that's there to support and be there for your people when things go horribly wrong. It's also that position, I guess, where People were looking to me to be the one that had that purpose and direction and be the somebody that was there to support our people and be able to provide a clear message, whether it was internally within our team or to a wider audience, whether it was the media or other people that were trying to hang us out to dry, might be a good description of it. But also it made me understand the importance of compassion. It made me understand the importance of listening. And it also made me understand how important my role was at the time to be there for our people who were going through things that they never thought they'd ever experience. And I think it it shaped me as a person. It put a lot of things in perspective too. I certainly was confronted with a couple of difficult situations as a result of that incident. And yeah, it, it probably shaped me as a person. It shaped me as a leader but it's also made me understand how vulnerable we are too. I think a lot of listeners and me too are going to be feeling quite curious right now about the specific details. Is that something that you're willing to go into the specifics or would you just rather keep it general? No, Daniel, I'm happy to share it. And it's potentially, I, it was something that we went through a number of years ago in a previous role where I was a parks manager. And I'm more than happy to talk about it now. We went through uh, a situation. It's a very, probably quite a long story, but I'll, I'll put it in a shorter context in that we had a tree fall in a very major park in the centre of the city. 
And was it and because of any work up. that you were doing or just because of it just the tree just no, failed? It was it just failed. It was okay. a warm summer's day. Yeah, right. And okay. they a, a mother and a child were walking through this park okay. and a branch failed and it fell on them. Yeah. And unfortunately the child was deceased as a result of the impact and the mother permanently um, has ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah. And as a result of the injuries that was suffered, the situation was we had one team member that was first on the scene and was confronted with what might be the best description as some very, very confronting situation. Yeah. I'll never forget the phone call that I received that something had happened and going down to the park and being seeing what had occurred and emergency services and people were there at the time dealing with the situation. We subsequently, as a result of that, there was a very, very thorough and long period of investigation which involved forensic examination of the tree in question. Mm-hmm. Interviews with myself and a number of our team members that were involved in the management of that park and also the management of the tree population within there. Mm-hmm. We had some fairly difficult situations where the media hung around the front of some residences, a place of residence of a couple of our team members, and that was very, very difficult, certainly for one individual who found that hard to look outside the front door and hear camera crews and yeah. reporters and journalists. And I had to manage that in conjunction with some other people within our organisation. And then, obviously, significant media coverage, both at a local and a state level, and a lot of emotions, a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of Mm. blame game that can happen, especially Mm. when there's a child involved. The collateral damage was significant, obviously, for the family that was impacted by the accident or the incident, but... I think at times people don't think about the fallout on the people from our organisation that were involved in this. Mm. And we had we had team members that never returned to our organisation. And were they the arborists or who were those people? One of the team members was a horticulturist. He was the first person on the scene. Yeah. He worked in the park. He was confronted with the situation. Mm-hmm. He was a young fellow. He was just a fantastic young man and had potential written all over him and he could not return. He just couldn't deal with that and he ended up, he moved on and returned home to the family farm as a place of solace and obviously of comfort. I still speak to him from time to time. We had obviously the people in the boriculture space. Our tree management officer was one that really bore the brunt of this because a number of weeks before this incident, we'd undertaken our prescribed inspections of that tree and we'd followed the industry standard. He was a very well-qualified individual in that space as a consulting, had worked in the private and the public sector, one of the best officers that I reckon I've ever seen in my journey. He subsequently resigned and moved on, and then we had another supervisor was in the same boat. He went through, obviously, the investigation process, and he's no longer, he, was, he moved on from that organisation as well. The damage and the fallout was significant 
for us as a team. Um, it certainly impacted on our work environment. But one of the things that we did see was the way that our team rallied around each other to support the individuals that were affected and the organisation did as a whole. The organisation was amazing in providing support and professional help to the people that were significantly impacted by this incident. What did we learn out of it? We learned that standards are everything, Daniel, and those standards that we had in place, you know, were industry best practice. We learned that Trees are a living organism, as we knew, and unfortunately these incidents can happen without anybody knowing. The result was, was after the forensic investigations and the coroner being involved in that process, the fault in the tree was internal and no one would have seen it. And that was the contributing factor to why the tree failed. I guess, though, that doesn't make any, there's no, you know, there's no winners through that. We obviously, a loved one lost a young child out of that and a mother ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of their days and nobody can ever change that or bring that young child back. But we certainly learn a lot out of it and we learn how vulnerable we are. We learn also that standards are everything. But like I said earlier, Daniel, I also learned the importance of being there for our people and being somebody that people can come to and because I had that trust and respect, People had confidence for, to be a confidant and come to me, talk about how they were feeling, talk about how vulnerable they were and discuss, you know, the space that they were in at the moment. The impacts were really wide-reaching wide and they certainly influ, influenced and impacted on us in many ways. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I don't think anyone who hasn't been through that could ever actually empathise with that. But I guess th- yeah. that sort of brings me on to another question that I have in that, I think a lot of people, they sort of, they're working on the tools and they say, oh, God, it'd be good to be a manager, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, oh, that he has an easy job or she has an easy job as the manager or the leader. And this is not so much the team leader who's on the tools, but maybe the one who has this perception of being in the office all day, you know, they have it easy. Like, is it, is that true? Like, do managers really have it easy? No, I don't. I think that that's not true at all. And I think a manager has a high, wider scope of responsibilities that they, you know, they need to attend to or are responsible for. I think one of the things that is good, though, in breaking down that, you know, that attitude or that view is when you create a work environment, people come in and out of your office and they see what you're doing and they see what you're responsible for. And because you're engaging with them and you're discussing things and you're listening and learning, people have a far better understanding of how much you're responsible for and that wider scope. And creating that environment, you know, has so many more benefits in that people have a better understanding of what goes on. And we talked earlier about succession planning and providing opportunities for our people. And one of the things that... I really focus on is providing opportunities for people to act in different roles when somebody's on leave and doing that one gives them an opportunity to grow opportunity to learn new skills gives them also an understanding of what happens across the business and if you bring in a individual into a team environment who may only be responsible for a specific area such as mowing turf 
they come into a higher role or an acting role where they're responsible for not just that turf aspect, but they're responsible for horticultural elements. They're responsible for reporting. They might be responsible for procurement, but they're also responsible for people. And then they gain a far better understanding of, you know, those higher position roles and that increased scope of responsibilities. And then what happens is, Daniel, is they then, when that tenure is finished, they go back to their respective teams and they influence people and they tell people what does happen. And that, you know, that creates a much better culture because people understand what's happening across the business, but people understand and have better understanding of people's roles and responsibilities. So therefore, it provides more clarity, it provides more purpose to a team. Yeah, I think that's really good to to build up your skills, especially when you're doing something like mowing all day. You know, sometimes it can feel a little bit repetitive. Sometimes you do feel like you want the added responsibility. But then I'd also say for some people, the grass is always greener on the other side and maybe you should just enjoy like what you're doing rather than wishing and hoping all your days because then when you get there to the management level, you might realize, oh, my goodness, this sucks. Yeah, I, I, you know, that that, that, that can happen. I, I think one of the things, though, in developing, you know, a really good culture in the work environment is providing those opportunities. And certainly in my, in my current role, one of the things that we've done here is in the off-season or the cooler months, we've developed a works program where our team members are undertaking a range of different tasks and initiatives and learning new skills and learning new new on how to do things differently. And, and I'll give an example of that is we, as a, as a smaller organisation, and we are quite reliant in certain part of our operations, the use of contractors, and we made a decision this year in our winter program to do a significant amount of tree maintenance. And we have two team members who are fantastic workers and work in our area maintenance team, but they've shown a really strong interest in other aspects of our business. And one of the things we just we talked to them about this year was assisting with our tree pruning program and bringing this work back in-house instead of using contracted services. And through myself and our tree management officer and our open space team leader, we've worked closely with those team members and we've we developed a program and used and obtained some plant and equipment to be able to undertake this work. And we worked with our team members who were out in the field who hadn't had a lot of experience in this space to educate them and get them a better understanding mm. of how to prune and how to do this work on our trees. Only small maintenance tasks, nothing significant. Yeah. And over, over a six-week period, they pruned 720 trees, and which was just an absolutely amazing effort because these fellows listened and learned and took on suggestions but also provided input in how we can do things better and the outcome has been nothing short of sensational i love to hear that yeah it's, it's always good to leave a workplace better than or you know more educated and more skillful than when you entered it i think that's a beautiful thing yeah and and what happens daniel with those is those people then grow as individuals yeah. they've got new skills they become they're more productive obviously they're happier because they're seeing opportunities and they become more respected within that workplace as well because of, mm. you know, going outside their comfort zone and learning new things and being willing to take on a new challenge and a new opportunity. But it also provides a beacon for other people who are a bit aspirational to say, oh, if I put my hand up, I'll get those opportunities too. And it makes a work environment that's more flexible. 
Absolutely. So let's just say that, you know, there's there's definitely some aspirational people who are listening to this right now. Maybe they're on the tools, working under a team leader. Maybe they're leading the youth, but they, but they have dreams. You know, they want to be the manager. They understand it's not going to be easy. They understand that, you know, it's a lot of hard work and it's not just sitting on Excel spreadsheets all day. Like what what advice would you have to someone who wants to become a leader and, you know, they want to climb that ladder, even up to the CEO level, perhaps one day. What advice do you have to someone like that? I think be patient at times. I think sometimes we see in the current generation that they want to be there tomorrow. And I think enjoy the journey is really, really important. Don't be afraid to make a mistake and don't be, able, don't be afraid to, tr- to try things. Be yourself, as we talked about earlier. Um, be genuine. Be humble. Um, listen. All those different characteristics that we've talked about about what I believe is important as a leader. But I think also do aim for the sky. Is don't be afraid to you know where do I want to be in five years, ten years? Do I see myself in you know in this sector? Don't be afraid to challenge yourself. And don't, and most importantly, be flexible and be adaptable. And what about as well, like, okay, so you want to be that person. Well, yeah. what are the characteristics of that person? Like, are you actually capable of being that person or, or do you just want all the glory without the guts? I think character is everything. And one of the things is you need to have, you need to have some guts if that's a good <laughs> description of it. I think that you need yeah. to be able to take the bullet because there's more brick brick bats than pats on the back quite often in any <laughs> workplace. And yeah. one of the things that you do need to be is you need to be resilient, but yeah. you also need to be an optimist in that you will get a lot of brick bats in the workplace. But if you behave in a poor manner or you slump your shoulders or want to go into the fetal zone under the table, that reflects on your people as well. And I think, you, you, you know, you need to make sure that there is going to be some challenging situations, but it's how you respond from them is the mark of the person and the mark of the leader. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, character's everything. You can teach the technical skills and the knowledge, but you can't change people's character. And if people have the right character and they have the right attitude and the right standards, we can teach the technical skills and they can be the right person in their respected role that they aspire to. Yeah, that's so well said. So, Simon, just before we finish up, there was one more thing that I just wanted to touch on, which was you had a staff survey that you were telling me about. Can you describe what the staff survey was, what the metrics were, and how you performed? Yeah, so currently at, at Wallandilly Shire, we just completed uh, a staff survey about you know what what people, how people perceive their work environment and how that people perceive their respective teams that they were a part of. And it's a really good opportunity to look at how we're performing and how we can potentially do better. But one, one of the things that was very positive in our survey was, or we had improved significantly compared to the previous survey, was in our communication and our ability as a team to work together and most importantly, create a work environment that people were really proud of being part of and wanted to come to work. People felt that they were valued, they were listened to, and they felt that you know they could speak up and not be chastised or not be disrespected for what they wanted to say, what they wished to say. 
So it was really, really positive to get results that were significantly better than what we had had in the past and gave us a really understanding of what we are doing well and what we need to maintain. I think also to add to that, local government in New South Wales has to undertake a customer engagement survey and it's just been completed for our shire and our unit has finished at the high end, um, which is fantastic. So our level of customer satisfaction with the wider community is also at a, at a really high level. And we're only, we're at the same level as our libraries for the level of customer satisfaction, which is just a fantastic result because libraries generally always figure high in these surveys. People are generally very happy with their performance. But it shows a number of things that we're doing well as a team is one, our standards are very good. Our outputs on the ground are excellent, but it also, all those factors that we've talked about in the staff survey about engagement, working with our people, listening, communication, all those factors are resulting in really positive outcomes into the wider community. So I think, you know, those survey results, we can always do better and we can certainly use those learnings to improve and become a better team and improve our services to the wider community going forward. Wonderful. Simon, at the end of every episode, I always like to ask my guests one final question. Is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about? Oh, Daniel, I think, you know, one of the things certainly I'd like people to to know about in leadership is, you know, be humble, be yourself, be genuine. Most importantly, listen, but be there for your people. Leadership's a really difficult job. There is more you know, kicks up the backside, then there is pats on the back. And, you know, how we respond as as individuals is a reflection on us as a person. And I always say to people, character is everything. You can teach the technical skills, but if you don't get people with the right character and attitude, you're not going to achieve great things. Very well said. Thank you so much for a great chat, Simon. Oh, Daniel, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, um, I wish you well with your podcast. Working with other staff is either the hardest or the easiest part of any horticulture job, depending on your workplace. If it's time that you made a shift to a new workplace, put your resume on whorepeople.com for free right now. Employers will be notified based on the job categories that you tick, whether that's maintenance, management, green infrastructure, or 60 other categories. If you're a leader looking to build your team, you won't find a more passionate bunch of green industry pros than by putting a job out on whorepeople.com. You'll reach people who listen to this podcast, which means that they're actually investing in their own professional development. Exactly the sort of people that you want in your team. Head to hortpeople.com right now.